bitch, you are funny. <laughs> it's hilarious. Half the time you're like, wow, he's got a funny accent. Wow, what did he say? I don't know. And he says something funny. <laughs> Very informative. Thank you. <laughs> I love it. I love your, our church, don't you? Yeah. You love your church? Yeah. Amen. One person. Yay. <laughs> I love it when, <laughs> I'm all right, yeah. I love it when, you know, people, when they start coming to a church, they, they start out by defining the church as your church. They say, so, hey, it was nice at your church the other day, and your, 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 all that kind of stuff. You know, your worship team was pretty good, your whatever. And then it turns into uh, our church. You know, like, hey, at our church, we have, you know, great kids ministry, and we have whatever. And then, then eventually it turns into my church, right? I love it when people begin to describe PSCC is the My Church Church, right? That it's yours. Because really it's you. you. You are the one that gets to make up this thing called church. We're the body of Christ. We're the ones that get to come together as a family. We're the ones that, when I stand up here, and I had, had somebody come to me one time, and they said, you know, Lance, when we first started coming to PSCC, you kept on standing up there saying, hey, welcome home. And she said, to be honest with you, cheesiest thing I've ever heard in my life. And I was like, wait a minute. She goes, but let me tell you something. After I was here for a while, I realized that you meant it. And that this is home, and we're glad you're here. We do say welcome home, because we want you to feel like this is a part of your family. Amen? Speaking of family, we're bumping into this thing called Thanksgiving here in a minute. Yeah, some of you are like, by the way, Thanksgiving has got to be God's best design holiday ever. Is there a better holiday? No, really. I'm telling you. Food, football, no obligatory gifts. It's awesome. (laughs) Sorry, I just said that. Just snuck out, right? I just love being able to come and hang out, like chips, people, friends, family, football. <sighs> yeah, I'm telling you, right? And then turkey coma after that, right? So, so I'm looking forward to this week coming up, but I can tell you that not everybody does. Not everybody has that moment. Some of you are bumping into this week with, I don't know, apprehension, maybe a little nervous. Some of you are feeling sad. Maybe this Thanksgiving reminds you of what used to be, right? Whether it's a a marriage, or maybe it was a family member who's no longer with us. Or maybe you're anxious because you're going to bump into that person, that, that person in your life. You know, and I say that person, and you know who I'm talking about. That person, whether that person had some impact on your life in the past, or somehow that scenario shows up. But all too often, holidays bring that to the surface, and we find ourselves having to wrestle through what that's going to look like. And sometimes things, uh, holidays aren't like the most um, look-forward-to moment. To you, I would say, I just want you to know you're super normal, right? You're normal. That's pretty common. Everyone feels that way. My hope for you is that as you navigate these waters, that you can keep your focus on who, who God is and, and who it is that he says you are. And as you navigate the waters, that you don't have to go with what your emotions always tell you. You don't have to always follow through on what it is that you've always done in those scenarios. There's some of you today who are battling an addiction. You know that when you get with your family, it just kind of happens or whatever. I'm telling you, you can do this. You can make it through this thing. It's, it's not an easy journey, but you can do it one minute at a time. Amen? My, my wife says to me this. She, I, I have five siblings and then three step-siblings. And she, she says, every time I'm with my siblings, she says, you revert to 14. And I was like, that was a good time. She's like, 14? And I was like, she goes, Lance, you're almost 50. And I was like, yeah, but 14 was awesome. 
It's pretty funny. <laughs> I want to go back there. Sometimes we just go back, and I'm saying to you, like, it's okay for you to just be you where you are, and you're going to make it. But I'm really glad you're here today, and hopefully you'll take from this morning something you can take with you as you navigate the waters of this this week. Can we pray? God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for an opportunity to face trials and struggles and even really good things. And we ask that you be with us as we journey this course today. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in the middle of our series entitled Grow. Grow, where we've been talking about what it means to take steps to move beyond immaturity to a place of maturity. Grow, what it means to take steps to, 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 to grow up past those places in our life that have been landmines or speed bumps or, or, or big caverns that we have to get through. Remember, you don't have to choose to grow older, but you do have to choose to grow up. And growing up is the hardest part, right? Because you have to make a decision to make a decision to grow up. And sometimes it's hard because you face difficult things. Sometimes, like, like building any muscles, you have, to, you have to actually put weight on the bar, right? And then you have to put a little more weight on the bar and a little more weight on the bar. And all of those kinds of weight on the bar moments aren't easy. They're difficult. Growing up is that journey of you putting more and more weight on the bar each time and increasing and building strength and walking it through. Becoming mature is, is, is not easy. Growing up into a place of maturity is difficult. We wish that it would just happen fast. We wish that we could snap our fingers and be mature. A lot of us really actually hope that just logging time at church will somehow equate to spiritual maturity. And that doesn't work that way, right? Logging time anywhere doesn't make you anything, right? You can log time at Pizza Hut and it doesn't make you a pizza, right? You can't just attend something and hope that it's going to turn out, right? At some point, you've got to make a decision to do something different. But my son, um, he's coming home this afternoon. He'll be with us for a few days. And he's, uh, he's now 25. But when he was five, Polly reminded me of this story. When he was five, there was a little neighbor girl across the street that he had a crush on, right? And, and I remember him, she said that one day he was sitting at home eating his bowl of Cheerios, and he says, Mom, what's it going to take for me to get Chelsea to like me? And she goes, wow, I don't know. What do you, what do you mean? She go, he said, I just want to get this marriage thing down. <laughs> she said, marriage is a long way from now, pal. And she's like, I know, but I just want to solve the issue now. She's like, yeah, I don't know, man. See, a lot of us are like that. Like, we want to make sure that we can just snap our fingers and make our marriages awesome. Or just kind of close our eyes and our kids will be amazing. Just kind of close our eyes and, and, and bow our heads and wish and somehow a big box of money shows up. Right? It's not how it works. God wants us to make some decisions to walk this thing through. Paul the Apostle finds himself in a Roman prison cell writing the book of Philippians. So if your Bibles, open it up to Philippians chapter 3. Paul's writing this book from a Roman prison cell. Now, how did Paul get in prison? A lot of, there, there's a lot of commentators who differ on how he got in there, but if you read the book of Acts, chapter 21 through, through the end of it, which is at the, just eight, six, eight chapters, if you read the last part of the book of Acts, you'll get the picture as to where it is this all happened, right? So Paul, Paul the apostle literally shows up in Jerusalem, and he's there, he's hanging out with the Jerusalem church. Paul ends up coming to a place where he goes down to the temple and he decides to do something Jewish because he was Jewish as well. And so he follows through on a sacrifice and there were some Gentile people there, some non-Jewish people. And the Jewish people, non-Jewish people were with him. The Jewish people got super mad at Paul, made up an accusation that he was trying to cause a riot and trying to make a big ruckus. And next thing you know, Paul gets arrested. Not only gets arrested, but he gets arrested and beaten because they said he was causing a riot and causing all kinds of fuss. 
Paul's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm just hanging out here at church trying to figure this thing out. Lo and behold, he gets thrown into this prison cell. Paul's getting mad because he's like, hey, hang on a second. I, I didn't plan on this. I was just coming to church. I was just doing what I was supposed to do, and now I'm in prison. I was following the rules, doing what I was supposed to do, and I ended up in a place I didn't feel like I was supposed to be. Ever happened to you? Ever happened to you? You do what you think is the right thing to do, and you find yourself getting in over your head, getting into a heap of trouble. That's what happened to Paul. Paul ends up in this imprisonment. Now, here's the crazy irony. In chapter 21, this whole journey begins where Paul ends up, ends up in prison, right? And as Paul's in prison, God says this funny little thing. I think it's in Acts chapter 23, verse 11, when he says this to Paul. Hey, Paul, I need you to go to Rome. Take courage. And then moves on with the whole process. He's still in prison and misunderstood and all that other stuff. And I, I, read, I read that the other day, and I stopped, and I thought, ah, oh, Paul needed to go to Rome from Jerusalem, but Paul had no way to get to Rome from Jerusalem. How was Paul going to get to Rome and Jerusalem? How was Paul going to you know, take a really long walk and a really long swim? How was he going to get to Rome? Until I read it again, and I realized that God's plan was to get Paul to Rome via the prison thingy. Because eventually, Paul ends up making it on a boat that shipwrecks the island of Malta. Next thing you know, they end up in Rome, just where God told Paul he was supposed to be. Isn't it amazing, isn't it? Amazing how often we come up before God and we're like, God, you've, you've left me behind. You don't love me anymore. God, you're mean. You're mean. The whole time God's saying, listen, I've been trying to get you to go here for a long time. There's times when people come to me and they say, Pastor, I lost my job. The sky's falling. I don't know what I'm going to do. And then I say something like, was there any other way God could get to the bottom of your heart? They're like, that's a dumb question, Pastor. Don't ever ask me that. I was like, I don't know, man. God's maybe been trying to work on something. And maybe it took a catastrophe. It took a moment before you'd finally say, okay, okay, okay. I don't know if God was wrestling with Paul like that or not. But I know he wrestles with me like that. Sometimes I get super tired of the wrestling match because he always wins. We fight against it, don't we? Don't we often fight against that? Paul finds himself in this prison cell. Here's the thing I love about this whole prison narrative circumstances were not going to define Paul's joy. Circumstances were not going to determine whether or not Paul was going to have a measure of little joy, medium-sized joy, or big joy. Paul writes literally the letter to the Philippian church, and it's often titled the book of joy, or the letter of joy, or the epistle of joy. Literally is this letter written saying, hey, listen, guys, I know I'm in prison, I'm confined, there's not much I can do, but be joyful always. And again, I say rejoice. Stand firm then on this truth that you know to be true. He just goes on and on and tells them, listen, don't let your circumstances determine your joy. Some of you are walking into a trial this week that you're going to have to face, and it's nothing, nothing less than just complete crazy circumstance that you didn't dial in for your life, but it's coming at you at 100 miles an hour. And I'm telling you, Paul would still say the same thing inspired by the Holy Spirit. Joy. Joy cannot be or should not be or will not be determined by your circumstance. And our choice is a decision to make to walk in the truth of the joy or not. Part of that's growing up. Part of that's just growing up in this, in this crazy place. Growing up is not easy. Growing up is the daily exercise of doing the next right thing over and over and over. Growing up is literally taking moments and saying, I don't feel like doing that thing, but I'm going to do that thing. And when I do that thing, I'm going to end up growing, over, growing up in it. I'm going to get stronger through it. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Let's open up to that. 
Now, verse 12, I, I would start off with verse 1, but it would just take a long time. But let me just give you a short synopsis of this. Verse 1, Paul's talking out in verse 1 through, 12, through, 1 through 11. He's basically saying, hey, guys, there's been a lot of really good things that I've done in my life. You know, I was born, this particular, born in this family of uh, the, the line of Benjamin. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I followed all the rules like crazy. I did all this amazing stuff. And Paul gives us his pedigree and all the things that had happened in his life that were really good. But he says, considering all that, it means nothing compared to knowing Christ. And he goes down here in verse 12, and he says this. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved perfection, basically, or I've already achieved these things, or I've already reached perfection. But I keep working towards the day when I will finally be all that Christ Jesus saved me for and wants me to be. No, dear brothers and sisters, I'm still not all that I should be, but I am focusing all my energies on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling me heavenward. I hope all of you who are mature Christians will agree on these things. If you disagree at some point, I believe God will make it plain to you, but we must be sure to obey the truth that we've learned already. Hmm. Paul says, I hope all of you who are mature Christians will agree on these things. I love this because Paul knows that there are Christians who are mature and there are Christians who are in the process. Paul knows that there's never a point at which you, um, I am mature, right? There's always a process of continually growing. Paul tells us three things in this brief few sentences, this brief few passages about growing up and about maturing and what it's the, the process of maturity really looks like. I love this because Paul teaches us how to grow and what to be expecting and, and, and how to journey this course to grow. Look at what he says. To grow up, Paul says the first thing that needs to happen in your life is you need to know the need, right? To grow up, you need to know the need to grow up. You, you need to know what it is that you need to do to grow up. You need to know how to grow up, why to grow up. You need to go know where to grow up. To grow up, you need to know the need. Doctors tell us that this thing in your body called the hypothalamus gland or the hypothalamus, whatever in your brain, controls three basic areas of the human body. It controls your hunger, your thirst, and your feelings. Hypothalamus. I think God made a design flaw, nevertheless, right? Hunger, thirst, and feelings, right? You know, because sometimes it's funny because when you're thirsty, you're supposed to be thirsty. When you're hungry, you're supposed to be hungry. But sometimes in, in your life, you can be super thirsty and your only reaction is to like eat, right? I mean, and, you're, and so sometimes your brain gets a little wacky, right? I'm super thirsty. Instead of drinking water, we end up like hungry, right? And, and, and your feelings. Sometimes that's why when you're depressed, you want to eat because it's all right in your hypothalamus gland, right? I just want to know like when I'm, when I'm really depressed, why I don't hanker for a jug of water, you know, like I'm... <laughs> Super depressed, and I want a ham sandwich. You know, I'm like, no, I just want water. <laughs> no, it happens, right? My gland is all messed up. I don't know about yours. But when you're hungry, you're like bonbons. You know, you just want something else. Chocolate. Instead of like, you know, I think I'll have lemonade. You know, it doesn't work that way. We get a little confused because we don't know what we need. And so we just start jamming stuff into our bodies thinking somehow that's going to be better. We get super depressed, and we either want to add something to our bodies or we want to engage in something we shouldn't engage in. Because we don't know our need. And oftentimes, physically, we don't know how to satisfy our need. And then what we do is we, we start making stuff up. Well, I don't know. I don't know the need, so I'll, uh, I'll just make up a bunch of rules, and, and we'll call them religious rules, and I know what I'll do. I'll just I'll log hours in church. I'll, I'll give money at church. I'll, I'll start serving at church, and, and then God will be happy with me. The funny thing is, is God didn't say any of that stuff was supposed to make him happy with us. We just made it up. 
We just thought if I do all these things, then I'll tip the scale of God liking me or not God liking me, and somehow I'll tip the scale in my favor, and then he'll owe me. We never actually say that because that'd just be a little weird, right? But we do it all the time. God, I'm going to drop a bunch of good business on this side so that, you know, you know. I mean, we never say it, but that's what we do. I'll just be super nice to the lady in the parking lot, you know, and the next thing you know, we're like, you know, wanting to be not so nice out on the road. And somehow, it's funny, right? We try to make these deals because we don't know our thirst. We don't know our need. We don't know the need that God really has for us, right? If we knew the need that's deep within our heart, that the longing of our souls isn't about satisfying it with a bunch of service. The longing of our souls isn't about just buying another CD and feeling better when you're listening to the worship person sing. The satisfaction of our souls is different when we, when, when we, when we get fed from the word of God. Jesus, when he was confronted, when somebody asked him about food when he was in the middle of a fast, and Jesus said, listen, my food is to do the will of my Father. Well, that's a weird answer. But the truth is, some of us really would never know because it's not, we, we want to think our food is really the cheesesteak from Philadelphia. Right? So we just like, that's it. Instead of saying, listen, our, our food is to do the will of our Father and find satisfaction. That's why you can make it through a 21-day fast because you begin to do the will of the Father. Most of the time, we don't know our needs in our life. Paul's interesting to me because he says this, that we need to learn to know the need. Now, Paul's interesting because he says this in Philippians 3, 13. Paul says, I, I am not all that I should be, right? Most of us can agree with this passage at least. Yeah, Paul, I get it. I'm not all I should be. In fact, I'll never be that way. In fact, I'm always going to be not all that I should be. Paul writes, I'm not all that I should be. Now, it's interesting because I think Paul might have been referencing the chapter, uh, the, the verses just ahead where he was talking about all the rules he used to be as the rule follower, the guy who obeyed the laws, the strictest rules of the law. I did all this. And I wonder sometimes if Paul's perfectionism might have gotten in the way of his humanity and his spirituality by saying, listen, I'm not all that I should be, and I'm the internal part of his heart. Because remember, he's still Paul. He might have been thinking to himself, man, I tried super hard to follow all the rules and do all the right things, and I could never really do it all, but still trying. I think some of us can relate to that, and we feel like somehow God's going to be more happy if we continue to follow more rules. But Paul says this. He says, I still am not all that I should be. Now, understand this. This is Paul, who's already logged about 30 years of Christianity in his life. So this is Paul. He's not a new Paul. He's like a Paul that's been around for a while. This is the Paul who probably started a few churches by then. This is Paul who's been a missionary by then. This is Paul who's raised up pastors by then, raised up missionaries. Paul who have healed sick people. Paul who, through him, miraculous things had happened, Paul. This is that Paul. And that Paul says, here in Philippians, I'm still not all that I should be. And some of you are thinking, well, in that case, I have no hope, right? Because there's no way you can equate to that. Paul's saying, listen, I always want to live in the tension of knowing that I'm not all that I should be because then I'll always need God. I'll always be in a desperate need of who he is. Because the moment that we finally say to ourselves, God, you know, I'm good, thanks, I'm satisfied, don't even need you anymore. We get there, don't we? Sometimes we do. We're just like, God, if you just give me more money in my bank account, if you just give me enough food in my shelf, if you just make my kids healthy and happy and just make everything go well together, then everything will be great. And I won't even need you. We don't say that either. But isn't that funny? That's how we get, right? Sometimes we're like, hey, look, if I just have everything I'm supposed to have, well, maybe that's why you don't. Maybe that's why God says, listen, always be constantly within this tension of needing me. You got to know our need. We got to know what it is that God says we need to have. How hard is that to discover? Pretty hard. 
How do I know that? Look what Paul says at the very end here. Paul says, forgetting the past, I move on. Paul, Paul actually says, puts it this way. He says, I'm focusing all my energies on this one thing, forgetting the past. In order for us to understand the needs of our life, we have to understand how to forget the past. Forget the past. Forget the past. A count of three, I want everyone to forget your past. We'll just do it all together. We'll make one big counseling session. Ready? I'm going to count to three. Everyone just forget the past. All right? Wouldn't that be awesome if we could flip a switch like that? It doesn't work like that. In fact, it's interesting because the Greek word for, to forget actually means this. It means to neglect and no longer care for. Hmm. To neglect and no longer care for. That's what it means to forget. Neglect, no longer care for. Literally this. If you want to forget the past, here, here's, the, here's the real key. Remember this. Whatever you feed grows and whatever you starve dies. Right? Neglect. Literally, you have to starve the past to death. Now, this is Paul. I don't even necessarily think that Paul was talking about all the painful parts of his past. I think Paul was talking even about the great things of his past. Because in some respects, when we read Paul, we could see him almost in a gloaty person by saying, I've done all these wonderful things. It could be a real easy tension to say, I'm a pretty good person and hang on to that. And yet that be the stumbling block from his past. Just like in your life. Most of us struggle with the pain of our past or the hurt in our past or the dumb decisions we made in our past or how we got here from our past. Literally the same thing. To neglect and no longer care for it. We have to starve it. What you feed grows and what you starve dies. How difficult is it? Is this as difficult as this? Paul says, I'm focusing all of my energies on this one thing, forgetting the past. That's how difficult it is to forget the past. Paul says, I'm focusing all my energies. This is a guy who's confined in a prison, has nothing else to do but think. Nothing else to do but think about his past. And what, Why does he tell us to forget the past? Why, do, why does Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, why is it so important that we forget the past? Let me tell you why. Because the past always gets in the way of the present. The past will always get in the way of the present. The past always just takes the present and kicks it off. Because God didn't design us to think multiple things at one time. God designed us to think one thing at a time. He designed us to focus on one thing at a time. He designed us to uh, worship one thing at a time. That's why he says to worship him, right? He designed us that way. He says, listen, when you're not forgetting the past, that's becoming the object of your affection, that's becoming the focal point of your life when you're hanging out. And so many of us literally are looking this way, driving this way. And we're, we're bumping into all kinds of stuff back there. We're driving the car in the wrong direction because we're staring into the past. And it's literally causing you to bump into all sorts of problems. In order for us to grow up, we need to know the need. To know the need, we have to forget the past. To forget the past, we have to stop feeding it. We have to stop feeding it. I'm a failure. I'll never make it. I'll always be. Wow, if anyone really knew who I really was, they wouldn't. All the things that we go into our, in, our, in the journey that keeps it alive. What you feed grows, what you starve dies. Some of us need to put that thing on a fast. Put that thing on its starvation diet. How do you do that? Well, when it starts to come up and yell at you, you have, here's what you do. If I were to tell you, don't think of a pink elephant right now, you're thinking of a pink elephant. You can't just not think of something. Literally, you have to replace it with something different. You can't just forget the past. You have to replace it with the present, with the truth, with what's going on now. Amen. Amen. To grow up. To grow up. We have to literally know the need. Number two, to grow up. 
we have to give our all. Not only do we need to know the need, but Paul says you have to give your all. He says in verse 14, I strain or I press on. Some of your Bibles say press on. I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us up to heaven. I strain. I love that. That word strain. The word strain here means, I love it, the the translation, it means to run in a hostile manner, right? Strain means to run in a hostile manner. What does that mean? Uh, Imagine you and your husband or you and your wife are at the fair and some joker comes up and he, he, he grabs your wife's purse off her shoulder and then takes off running. Let me tell you what you're not gonna do. You see that guy running with your wife's purse or your purse or your wallet or whatever you got? Here's what you're not gonna do. I'm gonna stretch out first. Pull a muscle trying to chase that guy, you know what I mean? Just be a little weird. You're not gonna do that. You're not even gonna calculate, you know, I didn't go to the gym last week. I don't know if I'm gonna have enough energy to chase that guy down. You know what you're gonna do? You're gonna run violent. You should be, I gotta get this guy. You're gonna look at goofy. You're gonna go for it, right? Because you're not gonna care because someone's got my stuff and I gotta get it. Paul says, I run like that. If I'm going to grow up, I gotta stop giving a rip what people think about me. If I'm gonna grow up, I gotta run violently. I gotta run in such a way that it doesn't matter what you think of what I'm doing. I have to stop concerning myself what it is that's going on in my head and what it is that I think is going on in your head because I'm going to run towards this thing. And Paul uses the sports analogy, run in such a way as to win the prize, right? Let me tell you this, you don't, you don't jog to win the prize. You run to win the prize. I love in the Bible over and over again, there's these sports analogies. Paul says, when you're in a fight, don't punch as to beating the air. He's like, punch the guy in the chops. Like he's saying, make your punches hit the mark. Uh, chariot races, chariot races. He goes on in the book of Habakkuk, talks about that. Literally, God's saying this. If you're going to run, then make it count. Then run hard. Run until you're completely exhausted. But don't just half-heartedly walk through life thinking that somehow that's going to bring about maturity in your life. The truth is, growing up is super hard. Growing up, it's going to be a lot of work. Taking steps of maturity It's a lot of denial. I can't do this thing, but I can do this thing. It's a lot of denying your flesh, rather. It's a lot of saying yes to this, but no to that. Growing up in spiritual maturity means you turn that channel from this and turn it on to that or turn it off or whatever you got to do. Because whatever it is that you're feeding is growing. Maybe something you need to be starving so that it dies. Literally, strain, press on in such a way. Hmm. Let me tell you the result of straining or running that kind of race. Running that kind of race, what will happen to you is you're going to get super tired. Listen to this. When you get super tired, you become super vulnerable. And when you become super vulnerable, you become super susceptible. When you're running in such a way as to win the prize, you can get super tired. You find yourself just being like, I'm exhausted. I keep running in such a way. I feel like I'm doing all these things and serving all these ways and giving all that kind of stuff. And you find yourself tired and vulnerable and susceptible. The problem is, is many of us think that running this race is a lonely, isolated deal. God never, ever, ever, ever told you to run the race by yourself. That's why it's so important that you run the race with someone else, that you're running the race together. Because someone's going to look at you and say, here's some water, drink it. You need it. Here's, there's a bench. Let's sit down for a minute and catch our breath. Uh, the, The other night, we had our prayer time, our church prayer time. Third Wednesday of every month, we pray here. I'm telling you what, if you're not, you haven't come to that, you got to come. It's, it's growing. It's amazing. 
prayed over our country, prayed over our families, prayed over a bunch of things. Room in, in the Northwest Room, a lot of people in there that night. It was great. Uh, Laura and their team are up there leading us in worship. I'm in the front row. My wife's on this side. Hannah's on this side. And so I hear these two singing just up to Jesus. It was awesome, beautiful, right? And so I'm in the front row thinking, okay, I'm, I'm trying to focus on worship. I'm trying to get ready to lead this prayer meeting, and I'm trying to think all the things through. Immediately at that moment, I, here's the thoughts I had ran through my head. I'm going to let you know about me. Here's what happened in my head. Front row, arms lifted high, shirts coming untucked. I'm just worshiping, right? And, and as I'm doing it, here's what I hear. You're not qualified to lead this prayer meeting. You're not, this, you're not even spiritual enough to lead this thing. There's people in this room that don't respect you, and they don't respect the man of God you are. Someone else should be up here doing this thing right there. Same time, right in the middle of worship, and my hands are lifted, and I'm like, huh. All that's going on. You ever had those thoughts run through your brain? Nope, just me. Right? It happens, right? So you're like, why well, you get your hand up, right? That happens. Going on. So, so you know what I did? I said to myself, okay, I know that's not true. I know it's not true. I know that I am spiritual enough to lead this meeting. I know that. So I was like, I get behind me, man. I know I'm spiritual enough to do this thing. Authority, I know I have the authority in this room. I'm the pastor of this church. I should. And so I know I do. I'm going to walk this thing out. You know what? People respecting me, I know they respect me. I know that. Stop it. Get behind me. I literally had a fight in my brain right there. And then we got up and Laura's like, yay, worship was awesome, wasn't it? And I was like, (laughs) you know why? Because spiritual maturity is a lot of work. Spiritual maturity is a lot of work. It means you're going to be doing a lot of running, a lot of fighting, a lot of working. If you think you're just going to sit around and let spiritual maturity just happen to you, it won't. Because there's no static, stable set point in your spiritual maturity when you're there. You're either moving forward or you're moving backwards. And there will always be a fight. Lest you believe me or not, I'm telling you, there will always be a fight. After, after the prayer time, I pulled my wife aside and told her what was going on. She goes, that's not from Jesus. Let me pray for you. Lay your hands on me and pray for me. Because I'm running this race, man. I'm going to run this race with somebody. I'm going to make sure true. I'll tell my accountability partner. We'll walk it through together. Why? Because you cannot do this alone. You cannot journey this course and grow up in Christ alone. You need accountability around you. You need someone who will carry the, carry the heavy loads with you. Because there will be a fight. There will be doubts. Your brain will go crazy. The enemy will whisper to your ear. And he'll say, you'll never, you'll always, you'll never, you're going to. Over and over again. How do I know? Because it happens to me. If it's happening to me, it's happening to you. That's why I think it's so funny when I'm up here talking. I'm like, has it ever happened to you? And you're like, "Uh, you get quiet. (laughs) Because it's true. I just know it is. It's human nature. Why? Because you're created in the very image of God. And the devil doesn't like God. So the fastest way to get God back is to get at you. Because you look like God. He just doesn't like anything about you. He doesn't like that you find hope. By the way, you know what the devil's big plan is? The devil's big plan over your life is to destroy you. But he wants to destroy you as long as possible. Because if he could destroy you fast, then it would be super easy, no fun for him. He wants to destroy you as long as possible. How? By one bad thought at a time. That's why Paul says, inspired by the Holy Spirit, take captive every thought. Why? Because if you don't take your thoughts captive, your thoughts will take you captive. Nothing more, nothing more pleasing to the devil than for you to stand there, not growing up in Christ, but just looking like you are and faking like you are, but not growing up in Christ, literally getting immature the whole time with your hands lifted saying, I am growing in Christ, but you know you're not. You become this sterile version of the creation that God intended you to be. God wants you to be this producing, this life-giving, this life-serving, this life-feeling person filled with hope kind of person that looks like God. See, that's what the devil wants to do some point, in order for us to grow up, we do 
have to know the need. And it's going to take you everything you got. It's going to take you everything you got to grow up. Hmm. Number three, how do we grow up? Number three, well, you got to know the need. You got to know what it is that you need in your life. Number two, you have to give everything that you got. This growing up thing is not an easy journey. And number three, we have to learn how to walk it out. If we're going to grow up in Christ, we have to walk it out. You literally have to walk out the things that you know to be true. Philippians 3.16, today it's one of my favorite verses. Tomorrow it might be someone else. Philippians 3.16 says this, But we must be sure to obey the truth that we've learned already. We must be sure to obey the truth that we've learned already. Translation, walk today in the truth that you already know. Today, walk out the truth that you already know. In other words, you don't have to walk out truth that you don't know right now. You may have to later, but today, walk out the truth that you already know. What, what truth do you know? What, well, you know that if you don't forgive sin, then God's not going to forgive your sin because the Bible says so, right? So you need to forgive. Not easy, but it's what God says. Uh, you know, you need to uh, trust God with your time, your talents, and your treasures, right? In other words, you need to trust God with your time by saying, God, I'm going to give you my life, my time, my talents, saying, God, I'll just give you what I, you, I'll serve where you want me to serve and your treasures. You realize that God wants you to trust him with your stuff? Why does God want you to trust him with your, why does God want you to trust him with your money? We get so weird about money, right? Money becomes something like, oh boy, we're talking about money in church again. I think it's amazing to me because whether we were talking about money or, or talking about uh, exchanging, I don't know, whatever we would use as money, what, somehow that's so near and dear to our hearts. Money's just a piece of paper or numbers on a screen. It's nothing more than that. But somehow it makes our hearts weird and literally can equate to whether or not we trust God or not. That's why I think God wants us to tithe every so often, every time we get paid. Why? Because we need to be reminded every time we get paid. We're like, God, I, I tithed once this last year. That's good. So I did it once. I trust you. <laughs> no, he says tithe. Why? Because, it's, because tithing's hard. Trusting God with 10% of your income, it's hard because I got stuff to do. I got things to buy. I got bills to pay. But trusting God, let me tell you how to trust God. In order for us to grow up, we need to learn literally how to walk it out. This has been the easiest thing for me to learn how to walk out faith, learn how to walk out forgiveness, and learn how to walk out trust. This is what's helped me in my journey. Hopefully it'll help you. I'm going to make it super simple. You, listen to this, I'm going to set you free today. You ready? You do not, you could write this down, you could post it, whatever you got. You do not have to trust God for the rest of your life. You do not have to forgive that person for the rest of your life. You don't even have to step out in faith for the rest of your life. I'm going to give you a big fat freebie, right? You don't have to do any of that. You don't have to do it for the rest of your life, but you do have to do it for the rest of today, right? You only have to trust God for uh, 10 more hours. 10 more hours, go to bed. Just go to bed. Trust God for 10 more hours. Trust him with your finances for 10 more hours. Anybody can do that. Come on. You can forgive that guy for 10 hours. It's all you, got to just for, you don't have to forgive him for the rest of your life. It's too hard. It's too much. Too hard to think I have to forgive him and get past the thing for the rest of my life. It's just too daunting. It's too much. It's too difficult. So don't forgive him for the rest of your life. Remind yourself tomorrow I'm going to harbor my heart against him. I'm going to get hardened in my heart about her tomorrow. But today I'll forgive him just for 10 hours. Why 10 hours? Because that's about it. It'll be about 11 o'clock by then. Go to sleep. Right? You're saying, Lance, you're playing mind games. 
Man, you're just playing tricks on me. You're just trying to play mind games. Here's what I'm going to tell you. You're right. Because that's exactly what the devil's been doing to you. I'm just teaching you how to play him back. You don't have to forgive him for the rest of your life. You don't have to get right for the rest of your life. You don't even have to stop drinking for the rest of your life. Eh, just for a few more hours. Then you go to bed. Amen. See, walking out this place called spiritual maturity isn't supposed to be the thing that we think it's supposed to be. I have to deny myself this, and I'm never going to be able to do that. I'm always going to do this, and I can't do ever. Take the pressure off your neck for the love of heaven. And don't say those kinds of things, because the devil plays in the forever, and I'll always. He plays in the, that's his words, man. That's how he uses it. So play him back against him and just say today. I only have to be thankful for today. Why? Because the Bible that you read says tomorrow has enough worries of its own. It says, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow's got enough worries of its own. So worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. Today, forgive with all you got. Today, trust God with all you got. Well, what if today's Sunday and the buckets go by and I'm looking at my phone thinking, I have to go and tithe online. I can't, I can't. Listen, don't tithe tomorrow, but tithe today. Just do it today. Tomorrow, we'll worry about tomorrow because tomorrow you're going to freak out. How am I going to pay my bills tomorrow? That's God's problem. See, that's the problem we have is we start thinking, too, we're living in tomorrow way too much, causing us to never step out in faith or trust God. That's how you journey this course. I'm not telling you to disconnect your brain, people. I'm telling you to engage your brain. Engage your brain. Fight the fight that the devil's been fighting against you. Walking out the truth that you know to be true. You're going to be held accountable for what you know to be true. Here's, here's the great thing. You now can stand before God and you can't say, Lance didn't tell me because I just told you. So now you know. So now you're gonna be held accountable. Nobody's got their fingers in their ears. You all heard me. So I'm telling you, you get to be held accountable for what it is that I said, right? You just stand up and you say, okay, Jesus, Lance said it, I did, or I didn't do it. But you're accountable to that. God's going to say, how'd you do? I told Lance to tell you just before Thanksgiving about the whole forgiveness thing. I had him say it. I put it on his calendar. I told him to say that thing. And so I'm telling you, it's here. It's there. You're here. Let's do it for the rest of today. Why? Because I want you to grow up in Christ. I want you to mature. I want you to experience the joy of living your life. The peace that comes from knowing Christ. And when the devil comes yelling and screaming and fussing and fighting and barking, you can put him behind you and say, you're not my problem. In Jesus' name. Can we pray? God, this morning, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for who you are. Thank you that you have a plan. Lord, and your plan isn't to keep us a bunch of needy little chicks in the nest. Lord, you want us to live lives that are, that are completely dependent upon you, but engaged in, in, our, in our lives. Lord, you want us to be creative. You want us to uh, sink down roots. You want us to have great families. You want us to work hard. But you want us to trust you. Lord, you want us to grow up and not be left at home constantly saying, oh God, oh God, oh God. You want us to literally be growing up. And I pray that you help us to journey that course together. Maybe this morning you're realizing that you've never actually surrendered your life to Christ. You've never become a Christian. You've been to church, and maybe that's the first step you need to take today, is to say, God, I, I want to give my life completely to you. If that's you this morning, then just say that to God. God, you found me. You got me. I want to become a Christian today. I want to recognize the fact that I've not been following you. You know it. I know it. 
We both know it, God, but today, enough is enough. I surrender my life to you. Go ahead. That's just between you and me. Tell me. I give up. You got me. Thank you for all of your beauty, for all of my ashes. Thank you for all of my hope because of all of my despair, because of you. In Jesus' name, amen.